Welcome to the Exchange Church Podcast. Feel free to join us live on Facebook every Sunday at 10 a.m. at facebook.com slash exchange church. The following message is brought to you by our lead pastor, Pastor Jared Brooks. Listen, there are times in life when we're going through things, just life. There are things in life that we can't live without, right? True, there are things that we can't live without. But one of those things that we can't live without is decisive and compassionate leadership. Say amen. If there was ever a time that the nation needed to wake up and realize, and I'm not going to jump one side or the other, but what we need is decisive, compassionate leadership. That's what the world needs, and that's what you need. And so, listen, if you are a marketplace leader, or if you are a community leader, maybe you're a faith leader, or maybe you're just the leader of your family there at home, which is important, Jesus has four words for you. Four words that if you get these words, when when I hear these four words, it literally stops me in my tracks. These four words... When I heed to them, make me a better leader. And when I don't listen to these four words, I tend to gain the whole world and lose a bit of myself. And and I begin to lose relationships, and I hurt the fantastic people that I'm surrounded by. And so these four words are so important, and uh, we're going to get back to them in just a minute. That was a little teaser. So... Listen, as you probably know, we are in part five of You Are Not Far. If you haven't been able to track along with us and catch up, I challenge you to go back, watch these messages. We're, this is the fifth message. It's, it's, we're going through the gospel of Mark, basically from the front to the end. And this is a story. We say this every week, but I'm going to continue to say it. So in case you missed it or you're just catching up, this is a story that should have died in Nero's Rome. It should never have made it to us today. Uh, it shouldn't have lasted. Uh, the, it shouldn't have passed the test of time, but it did. And this is a story about who? Jesus of Nazareth, okay? The most important, the most important person that we could preach about. And, and it's a story of Jesus of Nazareth, but it's told to us by one of his most famous apostles, and that is the apostle Peter, Simon Peter. And Simon writes, Simon tells this, and he dictates this, and it's dictated and edited by his traveling companion, John Mark. And so we have the Gospels. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Mark is one of the Gospels. So when it comes to us today, we just look at it as one of the Gospels of Mark. But when Mark was writing this down for Peter, as they were having this dialogue, and Mark was writing this down, we need you to understand Mark was not writing the Bible, okay? This is, this is about 30 years after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Jesus is now gone. Peter has traveled around preaching this message of Jesus, preaching about the life of Jesus. Now Peter's at the end of his life. He's not going to make it out of the city alive. And one more time, he sits down with Mark, and maybe Mark coaxes it out of him, maybe It's Peter's idea. We don't know exactly whose idea it was, but either way, they sit down together one last time as Peter's imprisoned, not knowing that this is going to be one of the last uh, things that he ever does and ever writes, and he pins, he, he speaks this to Mark, and Mark puts it 
down and, and we, comes to us as the gospel. But Mark wasn't writing the Bible. Mark was simply documenting the life or the experience that Peter had with Jesus. Because Jesus is a big deal. He was a big deal during this time period. Rumors and, and stories about Jesus were being told all over the place. So if you look at this gospel of Mark, as Peter tells it to Mark, right at the very beginning, Peter makes a statement. He says, I'm going to give you all the meat up front, and I want you to know something, that everywhere we went, every time that Jesus preached to crowds of people and he taught people, he always had the same theme behind his message. And when he taught this, here's the theme, and, and Mark writes this in Mark chapter 1, verse 15. He says, the time has come. The time has come. In other words, when he's speaking to the Jews and all the Jewish people, he's telling them that everything that you've read about in, in your, 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 the law and the prophets, everything that you've heard about, all the prophecies, all the things that, that you've heard about through generations, it has all come to this moment. And Jesus would say, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near, which means you are never far. And then Jesus would often say as a, as a response to the fact that the time has come and the kingdom of God has come near, Jesus would say, so repent and believe the good news. And this word repent means to change your way of thinking. Okay, it's not a negative connotation, but a very positive connotation. He's saying, listen, the way that you've always thought things were, I need you to change your way of thinking because I'm setting up and establishing something brand new. Amen? You guys are a little sleepy this morning. You guys stay with me. I'll preach real fast if you amen me every now and then. Thank you. <laughs> so, let me catch everybody back up. Previously on You Are Not Far, Jesus had just finished accusing the religious leaders. Now, if you missed this message last week, you need to go back. Pastor Kevin uh, did an awesome job of painting a picture. Jesus is confronting all these religious leaders about being hypocrites. Jesus actually calls these religious leaders hypocrites. And Pastor Kevin said it last week. He explained it to us. What was happening was these religious leaders, they had the, the, the Ten Commandments, and then they had their, their written Torah, but then they had what was called the oral Torah, okay? And it was just kind of a list of rules that were passed down. Now, most of the rules that were written in the oral Torah were actually rules to help keep the Big Ten, okay? That's kind of how it originated. They were all rules that hey, if you keep these, that will help you keep the Big Ten. But over time, the oral Torah got bigger and bigger, and it was a, just a huge, massive list of rules. And Jesus confronts these religious leaders, and he says, you have put this, this oral Torah, this, this man-made religion, all these man-made rules, even above the commands of God. And he calls them hypocrites. He sends them packing back down to Jerusalem. Now, we use this map a lot. Uh, we've used it throughout the entire, the entire series. But then Jesus and his disciples, they actually go north from there. Now, uh, you can see the map kind of on your, your screen there. It's, it's a little bit difficult to see, but right at the top of the water area, that is Capernaum. Did it pop? There it is. This is Capernaum right here. You have the, 
the Sea of Galilee, you have the Jordan River, you have the Dead Sea down here, and then we have Jericho, uh, and this is Jerusalem. This is the Judea area, Samaria, Galilee. So they're actually heading back north, and they go to Caesarea Philippi, okay? So they go to Caesarea Philippi, and something really, really significant happens there. This is the place where Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples, and, uh, and, and hopefully you all have your Bibles or you, you mark things down in your notes or whatever, you follow along, uh, but I like to give my version of what I think their facial expressions were, things like that. So not everything I say is actually written down. We'll put that up on the screen for you. But I like to imagine that Jesus, they're having this conversation with his disciples, and this is the true conversation. Jesus asked his disciples, he said, hey, what's the word on the street? What are people saying about me? Who do people say that I am? And they start saying, well, some people think you're, 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 you're uh, John the Baptist, reincarnated. Some people think that you're a, a prophet. Some people, and they all start to kind of speculate and tell Jesus the stories. And Jesus says, yeah, listen, I've heard that before. But listen, guys, let me ask it again. Who do you think I am? Who do you say that I am? And Peter, he steps up and Peter says, you are the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus does something really cool with that statement. Jesus doesn't go, ah, you know, stop, you know, stop it. You know, we've always messed with Titian for years about Titian's one of the most talented people ever. And when we mess with Titian, he's like, yeah, I'll stop, guys, don't do that. Jesus didn't do that. When, when Peter said, you are the Messiah, the Son of God, Jesus accepted that. He accepted that title. He accepted that explanation of who he was, of who Peter said he was. Not only that, he says, you know what? You're exactly right. That is who I am. And upon that revelation of who I am, I'm going to build something so powerful, so awesome. I'm going to build my ecclesia. I'm going to build my community. I'm going to build my congregation, my people. We call it the church. He says, I'm going to build that on that foundation of who I am. I'm going to establish a brand new movement, a brand new church. Immediately after saying that, they begin the long journey south from Caesarea Philippi, which is up here north of Capernaum. They start heading south. Now, Ultimately, where they're going is they're going to head all the way down to the Judea area, and Jerusalem is their destination at this point. So they have a long, long journey ahead of them. Now, on this journey, they're traveling, and Jesus is constantly teaching, constantly speaking life into them and, and you know, giving them parables. Also, a reminder, this is also during the time that everywhere Jesus went, there was a crowd. So there were more people tagging along all the time. It was a snowball effect. You could just imagine people just joining in and joining in. And so they're headed south, and Jesus takes this opportunity, and he starts reminding them over and over and over what they can expect when they get to Jerusalem. This is the destination. This is where it's all going to go down. So he says this in Mark chapter 8, verse 31. 
He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. Now, this was a shocker to them. And that he must be killed. And after three days, rise again. <laughs> this was so confusing to them. And the reason that it was so confusing to them is they just had this powerful conversation of, well, who do people say that I am? And who do you think that I am? And they said, Jesus, you're the Messiah, the Son of God. And he's like, that's right. I am. And upon that fact, that statement, I'm going to build something powerful. And then he tells them this. The Son of Man is going to be handed over to the chief priests and to the teachers of the law. And ultimately, he's going to be killed. And three days later, I'll rise. Well, they weren't really listening to the three days later part. Because this was confusing because the Messiah can't die. The Messiah can't be killed. They lived, <coughs> excuse me, they lived in a day and age where they assumed that nothing bad happened to good people. And Jesus, having been around him as long as they had, he was one of the goodest. Right? He was one of the goodest people. And the more that they were around him, he was the goddest person that they had ever met. This Jesus. And so they, they just couldn't believe something like this would happen. So when Jesus makes this statement about eventually being killed, put to death, the disciples all kind of look at Peter. And they're like, come on, you said, you made the statement about, you know, he's the Messiah, the Son of God. He agreed with you. You got to say something. So if you just imagine this, you got to use your imagination. Peter pulls Jesus to the side. He pulls Jesus to the side, and he has this little conversation with Jesus, and he's basically saying something like, listen, you, you can't say this. In fact, the Scripture says exactly as Mark writes it down, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Peter was essentially saying, listen, Jesus, you got to stop with all the negativity and all that talk. Remember, you're the Messiah. You're going to build something powerful and awesome. You can't be saying things like you're going to die and things like that. You're scaring the kids, okay? You just got to keep your head on straight. So Jesus, Jesus, he says this is really awesome. Peter's describing to Mark, you know, Mark's writing this down. Peter's retelling this story to Mark. Mark's looking at Peter like, you want me to write this down? Peter says, yeah, here's what happened. So Jesus turns around, he looks at his disciples, and then he rebukes Peter, okay? He rebukes Peter. No, you're, you're, you're not understanding what I'm saying. See, he looks at his disciples, and then he rebukes Peter, and he says this, Get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. In other words, you want a kingdom like all the other kingdoms. I'm not that kind of king. I'm not that kind of king, and this that I'm establishing, that I've been talking about, that you have a revelation of who I am, it's not that kind of kingdom. See, you're not thinking in God's terms. You're thinking merely in human terms, and it doesn't work that way. You don't get it. You're not getting it. So to emphasize this point, he stops and he gathers the crowd and he gathers his disciples together. 
And he says, listen, I want everybody to hear what I'm about to say. Okay? Come on in. Come in. Everybody hear me all right? Back there, you can hear me all right? I'm going to say something. I need everybody listen to what I'm going to say. This is Jesus getting ready to, to teach a little lesson here. He gathers the crowd, and he says, right as they continue towards Jerusalem, here's what happens. Then he called the, gro- the crowd together along with his disciples, and he said this. Really intense. Whoever, listen, I'm talking to all of you. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself. That means say no to yourself. Take up their cross and follow me. And the crowd probably was silent. You could hear a pin drop, okay? He was was basically saying from here on out, we're right here, fellas. If you want to continue to follow me and you know where we're headed, we're headed down to Jerusalem. If you want to follow me, if you want to be my disciple, from here on out, it's not going to be easy. From here on out, it's not going to be a festival. It's not going to be a parade. It's not going to be a cakewalk. From here on out, if you want to follow me, it's going to cost you something. Now, when he says that, to us, it's symbolic. It's symbolic. We think, yeah, he says whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That's very symbolic. But when he says that to these guys, it was very literal. Okay? They understood crucifixion. They watched crucifixion. That was commonplace. They see that. Uh, Many of them had lost loved ones to crucifixions. They had watched crucifixions. They smelled crucifixions. And Jesus says, I'm just telling you that from here on out, you are going to suffer. From here on out, to follow me, it will cost you something. But disguised in the ominous declaration was this extraordinary invitation. This powerful invitation because what he says next, so good. For whoever wants to save their life. Everybody say save it. That's, that, this is for all of us, right? So whoever wants to save their life will lose it. That's all of us. We all want to save our life, right? Whoever wants to save our life will lose it. This is kind of a fancy way of saying everybody's going to die. Everybody's going to die eventually. We're not going to live forever. There's going to be a moment in time, no matter how hard you work, to preserve your own life. Eventually, you're going to die. Everybody loses their lives, no matter how well we take care of ourselves. Eventually, we're all going to die. But in the meantime, if you only live for yourself, if you only live for yourself, you will only have yourself to show for yourself in the end. Does that make sense? So this is what Jesus is trying to say. So here's the invitation. But whosoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. And in this moment, in this moment right here, he was inviting them. In this moment right here, I think, is when he's inviting us. He's inviting you. To lose our lives with purpose. To live and to lose our lives with purpose. Suddenly, Peter and the guys, again, seems like this happens all the time, but again, 
They have a decision that they have to make. Do we stay up here where it's comfortable, where it's safe, where we know people, where we can just live our lives, we can fish every day, which is what a lot of them did, and we can just die? Nobody's. Or do we listen to what this guy's saying, Jesus, and do we follow him? Even though it's going to cost us something, do we accept this invitation to live on purpose? Can you accept the invitation to live life on purpose? Because after all, everybody ends up somewhere in life. We can all agree with that one, right? But it's the intentional people who end up somewhere on purpose. We all are going to end up somewhere, but it's the intentional people who end up somewhere on purpose. Now, I think that you and I have a decision to make as well. Will we be consumed with preserving our own lives? That's probably always the temptation. I know that it's the temptation for me to just preserve your own life, to just make it. Or will we simply live our lives for others? Will we preserve our lives, lives that in the end, they won't even be preserved themselves? Will we continue to say yes to our fear? Because you know what happens when you say yes to your fear? Your fear always invites us to follow the path of self-preservation. That's what fear does to us, always. But Jesus knew that, and the warning was so intense, it was so relevant to all of us that if you follow that path long enough, you will neither preserve your life, nor will you have anything significant to show in your life. So the question that Jesus proposed to the first century followers, he extends to us as well, and it's simply this question, will you follow me? That's the question that he's ultimately asking the disciples. It's the question that he's ultimately asking the crowd that's with the disciples is, do you want to follow me? Will you follow me? And if you follow me, it's going to cost you something. Will you follow me? Will you ask the disturbing question? Will you wake up every single day and ask this tough question? So to follow him, what does love require of me so if i'm going to follow him if i'm going to be a jesus follower what does that require of me what does love require of me peter never forgot it that day the fear of uncertainty the confusion it would have been a lot easier probably for him to just stay up in galilee to just hang tight there but he and the guys made the decision they decided we're going to follow we're going to follow Jesus. Thank God they followed Jesus, but because Jesus, uh, because Peter decided to follow Jesus is the reason that we actually have the gospel of Mark. Had Peter not decided to go, we wouldn't have this gospel. Which brings me to this point here. This, everything that we're going through today, you know, with COVID, when the story of COVID 19 is just a story that we tell, you know, this virus, when it's a story that we tell two years from now, five years from now, 
10 years from now, here's the challenge for you and here's the challenge for me. When the story of COVID-19 is just a story we tell, let's make sure that our stories are worth telling. See, Peter had a story worth telling because he followed Jesus. He followed Jesus, and as he followed Jesus, he had a life that was worth living. He had a life that was fulfilled. He had a life that was so full, and he saw so many incredible things, and he had a story to tell. So when this is all said and done, what is your story? (coughs) Is your story worth telling at the end of the day? So Peter and the boys, they decide to follow Jesus. They decide to follow him back south towards Jerusalem, and the text says next this, that they left that place and they passed through Galilee. So they passed all the way through the region of Galilee, which is this entire region up here, and they went on down to Judea and ultimately to Jerusalem. And then Mark writes this, they were on their way up to Jerusalem when with Jesus leading the way. Now, I know that sounds kind of confusing, They were headed south down to Jerusalem, and he says they were headed up to Jerusalem, but they were actually directionally going south, but Jerusalem was set up on a hill, and so to get into the city, they actually had to climb up into the hill, so when they would say they were going up to Jerusalem, didn't mean they were going north, it meant they were going to the city, but what Peter is inferring here, when, when he says this, Peter writes, and he says, Mark, write this down, listen, we were all on our way to Jerusalem, we were all headed to Jerusalem, And Jesus, he's leading the way. He is out front leading the way. You know what was amazing to us is Jesus kept stopping along the way. And he kept warning us and telling us all these crazy things that was going to happen. He kept warning us about death and about gloom and doom and despair and agony on me and deep, dark depression, excessive misery. I don't know where that came from. (laughs) Some of y'all are too young to even know the song. And, And so... He's telling, Peter's saying, and it was so confusing to us because he's told us all this scary stuff that's going to happen, but it was like he was so anxious to get to where he was going. It was like he was on a mission because he's leading the way. So he keeps warning them. He's already warned them three times. And again, Mark chapter 10, verse 32, it says again, he took the 12 aside. And he told them what was going to happen to him. They're getting closer and closer and closer to Jerusalem now. And at this point, Jesus gets a little bit graphic. He says, guys, we're going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and to the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death. They will hand him over to the Gentiles or to the Romans who will mock him. They will spit on him. They will flog him, and they will kill him. And then he turns around, and he heads south, leading the way back to Jerusalem. (laughs) This is so confusing. It's so confusing for his followers. But then something really interesting happens. The text says, then. Everybody say, then. Then, as as in right after, right after he makes that statement, then, after, right after giving them that graphic description of what they can expect when they get to Jerusalem, he says, Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, <coughs> came to him. 
Now, you got to laugh when you read this. If you understand the context. Jesus just paints this graphic depiction of what's about to happen. Guys, they're going to hand me over to the chief priest, to the teachers of the law. They're going to condemn me, sentence me to death. They're going to spit on me. They're going to flog me. Ultimately, they're going to kill me. He turns around. He starts heading to Jerusalem. Then, immediately after, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, run up to Jesus. In other words, catching up to him because Jesus is leading the way, right? They get to Jesus and they, they have this conversation that it's obvious that they didn't intend on other people to really hear the conversation. They were trying to have a private conversation. They get up to Jesus and they kind of start to talk to him. They said, teacher, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. In other words... We have a favor. We have a favor. We need you to do us a favor. Now, Jesus, he has so much patience with these guys. He is just so cool. His personality is so sweet. He's so easygoing. He looks at these guys, and he says, yeah, uh, you know, what, what can you do? What can I do for you? Teacher, we, we, we need you to do whatever we say, okay? We got a favor. Jesus looks at him, and he says, what do you want me to do for you? Now, this is an important question. And we're going to circle back around to that question here in a few minutes. But he says, what do you want me to do for you? And here's what they said. This is profound, powerful. They said, Jesus, will you let one of us sit on your right side and the other one on your left side? Will you let one of us sit on the right side and the other one on the left side, will you give us a position, a place of prominence? Can we be important? Can we be important? And they're not asking for it right now, okay? They're not asking for it right now. They said, let one of us sit on your right and the other on your left in glory. Jesus just tells them, I'm about to go be handed over. I'm about to be flogged. I'm about to be spit on. I'm going to die. And he starts walking. They run up to him. Jesus can you put one of us on your right and one on your left when you get to glory? Now, when we get to the city, we're going to hang back while you get flogged. And sorry about the whole flogging thing. That's terrible. We're going to hang back while you get spit on. That's awful. And then while you die, all of that's terrible. We're so sorry. But on the flip side, can we please have a position? We want to be on your right side and on your left side. Did I paint a good enough picture for you? Are you getting what I'm saying, what this is looking like? Jesus smiles at them. You, got, you just got a picture of what's happening here. Jesus smiles at them, and he's probably thinking, guys, you don't even know what you're asking. You have no idea what you're, you still don't get it. And Jesus knows. He knows they don't get it. That's why he has stopped already four times to tell them what's about to happen and they still don't get it. They're clueless, okay? They still don't get it. After a few, few verses later, here's what happens. Jesus is up here leading the pack. He's got James, John, trying to talk him into this power position. And then it says that the other ten, they found out what James and John were talking to him about. 
it is on now. Listen, Mark writes this in Mark chapter 10. He says, when the 10 heard about this, they became indignant with James and John, right? Because most of you are probably thinking like me, how rude, how rude. Jesus just told us he's about to die. He just told us what he's about to go through, and then you chase him, and you're asking for a position. How rude, but that's not why they were mad. They were mad because, well, what if I want on the right side? Well, why can't I be on the right side? You can't be on the right side. You're on the left side. I'm on the right. I've known Jesus longer. I had more. He got more cookies. She got a Sprite. I want this. I want that. Come on, those of you that have kids, you know what I'm talking about. If you have multiples. And that was your fault anyway, but listen, that's my kids all the time. They want to fight about nothing, nothing. And the scripture, Mark writes, Peter telling, is telling Mark this story. It, he says that a fight broke out, a fight, a literal fight broke out about who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God. Jesus was just telling them, I'm about to die. And now it's a fight about being the greatest in the kingdom of God. And Jesus, I, I can't imagine really what was going through his mind at this point. Because I'm definitely not Jesus. I can imagine what's going through my mind at this point. But Jesus, you know, he's already covered this two or three times. And so once again, one more time, they find out what's happening. Everybody's fighting, and Jesus goes. Everybody come in. Come on. Huddle again. Yes, huddle. He sits them down. Jesus called them together. He sits them down. He says, now listen, guys. We're going to go over this one more time. One more time, I'm going to explain this to you. I've already explained it a few times, but I'm going to paint you a little bit different picture of what we're going to see when we get to Jerusalem. And he says this. He says, guys, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them. In other words, you know how the rulers in the Gentile world, you know, in the Roman world, the secular world, they rule mercilessly, and they rule mercilessly for their own benefit. You understand that, guys? And the guys are shaking their head. Yeah, we get that. We know. I mean, that, everybody knows that. And he says, okay, guys, then you also know this. And their high officials exercise authority over them. They rule. They lord over them. Yeah, yeah. Okay, guys, you probably also know this. You know that in those positions of authority, they leverage their authority for their own benefit, right? The guys are like, yeah, yeah, we know this. You know how those with resources influence and leverage their resources and in, uh, influence and leverage their resources to influence and gain even more resources. You get it? He's saying, guys, you understand that, that that's what they do. You get that, right? And they're, yeah, we get it. We get it. We understand. He's saying this, that the powerful people, the people with all the power, they use their power to get more power. Okay? And he's telling them, guys, you understand where we're going. The people that are in authority, they use and they leverage their authority to gain more authority. You get that, right? 
you get that. And the disciples are like, yeah, the crowd with them. Yeah, we get that. That's why we stay away from there. That's why we stay away from those people. We stay away from the Romans and we stay away from the Gentiles because we get that. That's how they are. They're always leveraging and using their power and their authority to gain more power and more authority. But Jesus pauses. He looks at them. I believe and I believe today he's looking at you. He's looking at me, especially if you consider yourself a leader in any uh, aspect of the word. He says, he pauses, and there's four words that he makes a statement. He gives them these four words, these powerful, powerful words, that four words that would stop me in my track when I think about them. Four words that if you'll grab hold of this, it'll make you a leader worth following. Jesus pauses, and he looks at him. right? I mean, you got to put yourself in this moment. He has this conversation. He says, guys, you know that people with all the power, they use that power for more. People with all the authority, they use that authority for more. They leverage everything they've got for more, for more, for more. You understand that? They say, yeah, and then he says these four words. Not so with you. Not so with you. That's not how my administration is going to work. That's not how this king is going to operate. That's not how this kingdom will be. That's, I know that's how the other kingdoms work. That's how all the other kings work. That's how they operate. But Jesus looks at them and he says, you know that. You know that's where we're going and that's what they're going to do. Because that's what they've always done and that's what they're going to continue to do. But he looks at his who? His followers. That's a big deal. He's looking at you. He's looking at his followers. And he's saying, I know that's how the world works. I know that's how the world operates. I know that's how they think. I know that that's what they do. They leverage power for more power. And they leverage um, uh, authority for more authority. He looks at his followers and he says, but not so with you. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great. Let me say this. It's fine if you want to be great. Being great is awesome. Wanting to be great is awesome. That's not the problem. He says, but if you want to be great, I'm going to tell you how to do it. And they're listening. He says, instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And before they can even catch their breath, he digs a little bit deeper and he says, and whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. Must be a slave of all. And before they can even object, I think Jesus probably turns around. He stares at Jerusalem. He stares at the city. At that moment, he's taken away all of their excuses. He's taken away all of your excuses. He's taken away all of my excuses. And then he turns back and he looks at them and he says, for even, and he's talking about himself here, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served. James, this is so powerful to think about it in that moment. James, John, you want to be served? That's what you were ultimately asking me just a few minutes ago. 
We're having this conversation. Peter, Andrew, you guys were all fighting about who's going to be. Is that what you want? You want to be served because, let me tell you something. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Any questions, guys? James, John, Peter, are we all good? All right, guys, let's go to Jerusalem. I've got a mission. Peter and James and John are thinking, what? Okay, wait, 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 wait. Give his life a ransom? Take up your cross? It doesn't even make sense. Maybe we should have stayed in Galilee. Then Peter tells Mark, and Mark writes this down, that they came to the city, but it's the first city on their, their journey where they're at at this point, and they come to the city of Jericho. Something really awesome happens in the city of Jericho, but they didn't understand it at first. Jesus, remember, everything Jesus does is on purpose. They come to this city, and it says, then they came to Jericho. This is Mark chapter 10, verse 46. Then they came to Jericho as Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd because there was always a huge crowd following them. They were leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. But there's a large crowd, right? Many began to rebuke him and they told him to be quiet. Because after all, Jesus, you got to remember, he's an important rabbi. His reputation precedes him, okay? He has important things to do, both of which, everything was true, but that did not stop blind Bartimaeus. He shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, Peter is telling this story to Mark, and Mark is writing this down. And Peter probably said to him, listen, we couldn't even believe it. You wouldn't believe it, but, but Jesus, he was so anxious to get here. This whole journey, he's leading the way, and he keeps stopping us and telling us all these bad things that's going to happen. And he's on this journey, and we're going through the city, and all of a sudden this guy starts yelling at him, and Jesus stopped. Jesus stopped. He stopped. Mark, I would like to imagine Mark looks at him. Like, you know, why? Peter's like, he stopped to illustrate his message. He stopped to illustrate what his kingdom would look like. He stopped to illustrate that he was introducing an upside-down kingdom where people with the power and the resources would use their power and their resources for people with less power and maybe no resources. This kingdom was backwards. It was upside down. It was flipped. So he's on his way. Now think about it. Jesus is on his way to his most important appointment ever. He's on his way to the appointment of why he even came to this earth. And he gets in this city, and he's anxious to get through it. 
Somebody yells out to him, and Jesus stops. This is so convicting to me. It's so convicting to me because, like you, I'm busy, right? I mean, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I can imagine a lot of you are busy. Sometimes it seems like my schedule is just, I catch myself just coming and going and just spinning around. I can't even remember what I was supposed to do next and, and where I was supposed to go. And you just get so busy. And that becomes your excuse for everything. Sometimes following Jesus requires stopping. Sometimes following Jesus requires stopping. And Mark tells us that Jesus stopped and he said, call him. So that's what they did. What a great day for this guy, right? His lucky day. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and he came to Jesus. And then one of the most extraordinary statements to come out of Jesus' mouth. The kind of statements that help me believe that the Gospels are actually reliable and they're not just made up because this is the kind of statement that you don't just make up. Okay? You don't just say things like this, but he makes a statement, and Jesus calls the man over, and the man jumps up, and blind Bartimaeus is, runs over to Jesus, and he asks a question. But I believe with all my heart that he wasn't asking blind Bartimaeus the question for Bartimaeus, but I believe that Jesus was asking this question out loud for everybody else in the crowd. Everybody else to hear what Jesus is saying. There's blind Bartimaeus. He finally makes his way to Jesus. And Jesus says this. What do you want me to do for you? Right? What a question. I mean, Bartimaeus knew exactly why he was yelling out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. It was obvious. But Jesus asked this question. What do you want me to do? To do for you. Now I have a feeling, and this isn't in the text, but I think he says to blind Barnabas, what do you want me to do for you? And I, I like to imagine that when he says this, he looks over his shoulder at James and John. He smiles. I like to imagine that he winks at them. And he asks blind Barnabas something like this. Do you want to sit on my right or on my left? And he looks at these guys and winks at them. <laughs> it's not in the text, so I don't know that's what he did. I just like to have, imagine Jesus with a lot of personality here. But it says this, blind Bartimaeus says, No, Rabbi, I just want to see. I just want to to see. I just want to see. Listen, isn't that a good thing to want? Isn't that a good thing to want? If James and John had been asking the right question at the right time, everything would have been a lot easier. If Peter had been asking that question, if the crowd had been asking that question, in fact, this is a prayer that I pray all the time. I pray this same prayer. It is a a part of my daily routine. Jesus, help me to see what you see. Help me to see people the way you see people. Help me to see my family the way you see my family. Help me to see me. I want to see me the way you see me. Help me to see the church as a whole the way you see it, Jesus. 
because I'm not seeing it correctly. And throughout this whole journey from the north all the way to the south, he had to stop them over and over and over and over and explain to them what's about to happen because they weren't seeing it. And all of a sudden, there's a blind man there, and all he wanted was to see. It was so symbolic of what was about to happen. All I want to do is see. If I could just see, I would be less inclined to see things that look like sacrifices as sacrifices. Because obedience is never a sacrifice. Obedience is always an investment into the invisible kingdom of God. So Jesus responds to this blind man. He says, yeah, go. Your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight. Not only did he receive his sight, but he became what? A follower. He followed Jesus. He followed Jesus along this road. He had a date with destiny. Now, I'm going to close. We're going to pick up that part. Of, we're going to pick up next week right here. That's this part of the story. But before we leave today, before we close out, I want to go back to those four little words that we talked about earlier. Remember, not so with you. Four of the most powerful words you could possibly read. In context, not so with you. So here's the question. What would you look like? What would it look like for you? What would it look like in your world? What would it look like in your home? What would it look like in your family? What would it look like in your workplace? What would it look like in your community if you were to become a not-so-with-you leader? Okay, so let me remind you. Everybody else, Jesus tells them, says, guys, where we're going, everybody leverages power for more power. Everybody leverages their authority for more authority. For more authority, it's give me, give me, give me, give me. And then he looks at these guys and he says, not so with you. He's, he's telling these guys, stop bickering and fighting about who's the greatest and what position because even I didn't come to be served. Even I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. Because listen, if you want to be that kind of leader, you got to understand, if you want to be a follower of Jesus, Jesus will always lead you to this path. Jesus will always lead you to that path of a not-so-with-you kind of leader. He's going to lead all of us to that have any kind of influence, any kind of leadership. He's going to always lead us to leverage your power. Think about this. To leverage your resources for the benefit of those with less power and less resources. That's the way Jesus is always going to lead you. It's what he's always going to push you towards. 
Leverage what you have. Leverage your gifts. Leverage your authority. Leverage your power to do something for somebody that just doesn't have that capability. This is always the direction that Jesus is going to lead. This is simply another application of the law of Christ. To love as we have been loved. It was Jesus' message. Because Peter, and this is really awesome. We're going to get to this next week some. But Peter will eventually find himself in the back of a crowd. He's going to be watching everything play out live right before his eyes. He's going to watch his rabbi, his teacher, his friend. He's going to watch him be beaten. And he's going to watch his rabbi literally give his life a ransom for many. After he watches that happen, it's a few days later that Peter finally puts it all together. (laughs) It's a few days after Jesus is crucified that Peter finally puts it all together and would understand that he was indeed a different kind of king and that he was introducing a different kind of kingdom. And this whole idea of becoming a not-so-with-you leader begins with a simple question. It begins with a, a question that's real similar to the question that Jesus asked blind Bartimaeus. Jesus asked blind Bartimaeus, what do you want? What do you want me to do for you? But the question that I'm asking this morning is this, what can I do to help? The question that we have to ask every day, what can I do to help? If you are in any kind of leadership, whether it's in your job, your workplace, whether it's your family, whether it's in the the marketplace or school, wherever, whatever kind of leader you are, you should write this down, and that should be a question you ask yourself every single day. What can I do to help? That person who's on the other side of where you're at politically, what can I do to help? The other person who's on the other side of your beliefs when it comes to religion, relationship. What can I do to help? It's the question that Jesus asked, and he asked it out loud on purpose. What can I do to help? How can I loan you my strength? How can I put my weight behind your need? And when you leverage your power and when you leverage your resources for the benefit of those with less power and with fewer resources, you are not far from the kingdom of God. That's what it looks like. That's what it looks like. The whole world would change like this if everybody just one one time would just practice this one principle. Everything would change. Everything. And I know that. And I know that that's what's so important because Jesus said it. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. When you lead from that posture, you are indeed a leader worth following. And just a reminder for you that with all the corruption, 
with all the chaos, with all the uncertainty, with everything that we think is wrong with the world today, not so with you. So stop acting like it. Right? Maybe there's a lot of messed up things. Not so with you. Maybe there's a lot of hate. Not so with you. Maybe there's a lot of tension. Not so with you. Maybe there's a lot of racism. Not so with you. Not his followers. Father, I pray right now that we we could become not so with you kind of leaders. I know the world's painted a picture of what leadership should look like and and what power looks like and what authority looks like, God, but not, not in your kingdom. Not in your kingdom because you came to reverse the order of things. You came to, to flip things, not even upside down, but right side up the way it was supposed to be in the first place. So, God, I pray this morning that we will become not so with you kind of leaders. God, the kind of leaders that it it doesn't matter what's going on around us. It doesn't matter the gloom and doom and all that craziness. God, it's not so with us. And that our message remains the same and our message is clear and our message is powerful. And our message is actually a question. What can I do to help? What can I do to help? In every situation, what can I do to help? What can I do to serve? God, it's not about trying to be the one on the right. It's not trying to be the one on the left. But God, I want to be like blind Bartimaeus when he says, I just want to see. I just want to see. God, give us eyes to see clearly people the way you see them. And I'm convinced that When that happens, Lord, it's hard for us to get through a meal without making another friend, without blessing somebody. It's hard for us to sit at a stoplight without looking at the person next to us and smiling at them for no apparent reason. Not so with you. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.